Well, hey, everybody. Good to see all of you um, and everyone who's online. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I really appreciate um, when everyone tunes in, but I'm really glad to see everybody here today. It's a thrill to actually talk to people again. It's awesome. So anyway, glad that you're here. Um, we're finishing up our series uh, called IRL in real life. So the, the kind of faux property brother that you see in the you know, opening montage, um, opening package, he's going away. I know it's sad. It's okay. We'll come up with something else, I promise. Um, but during this entire series, we've been in the book of James, and we've asked this New Testament writer to try to help us um, understand how to follow Jesus on a daily basis. Now, what's really interesting is over, I don't know, the course of my entire career, there's been probably, I don't know, maybe four or five times where I have distinctly felt that the Lord is tapping on something in, in particular. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Every, every time that, you know, we, we try to plan a series or we have an idea, you know, I think those are Holy Spirit guided. But there have been these moments where it's just very clear it's almost like the heavens part a little bit. Um, it happened a couple of years ago when I did First John over the summer, and then just this period of time when we've been talking in James, I really feel like this has been kind of a, uh, a God-driven sort of thing, which is really kind of a cool place to be. And um, especially during the moment or the little interlude that we did about four weeks on emotions, and I know that um, it was impactful because a lot of you had sent me notes um, just kind of saying, hey, you know, well, actually, I think the, the term somebody used was that I was meddling, but it wasn't me, it was Jesus, so, you know, you can take it up with him, right? But just that kind of idea of meddling. And uh, I really enjoyed the series. I think we've learned an awful lot here. Um, he's been very insightful, but I think where, where James has really pushed me personally, and hopefully you as well, uh, is to look inside your own heart a little bit more. And um, when we did our little detour about emotions, um, you know, we're all kind of feeling some, some things in the midst of this pandemic. And it was fascinating to me that um, even though I had been talking about it and preaching about it, that some of those really hit me in the last week, week and a half, just like steamrolled rolled me in the, the, the beginning of, the, of this week in particular. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you. Um, and it, it kind of takes you by surprise. So even though that I know it's normal, I still didn't like it, right? <laughs> and, uh, um, but that's the reality that we live in and to try to deal with those, those things that are happening emotionally and asking ourselves what's going on in here. And so today um, we're going to take a, another look at reality and we're going to take a look at Jesus and reality again. So I'm going to invite you to join me in James chapter 5, um, the final chapter of this. Whether you punch it in or flip to it is great. Um, but what I'd like to do is I want to go into the text. I want to read a couple of passages, and then I'm going to come back and make some comment about that, if that's okay. So James chapter 5 is where we are in all of this. Uh, I'm going to begin with verse 7. Um, I think it's the most relevant part of the passage. Let me read through this. Uh, let's go through verse 11 here. James writes, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too 
Be patient and stand firm because the, Lord is, uh, the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now let's hit the pause button right there because there's quite a bit in that passage that I think um, is, is useful for us. The, the first um, exhortation, and here it is, is to be patient. We're so good at that, aren't we? Some of you are smiling, I can tell, even behind your masks because that one, we don't like that one. Be patient. Yes. Awesome. Um, the difference between microwaves and crockpots, right? Yes, we, we know the difference. And despite our desire for you know, pure instant gratification, it's interesting that important things uh, rarely come quickly. Have you noticed this? <laughs> yeah. And it seems like the older you are, the more you realize this, and you wish you would have figured it out when you were younger. So those of you in the crowd who are younger, those of you who are watching are a little younger, pay attention. Good things take a lot of time. Um, it's just part of the way I think the Lord has uh, chosen to make things. And then, of course, he gives the example of farming, and this makes a lot of sense. How many of you grow a garden? Yes, when you first plant the seed, it doesn't just pop up. That would be cool, right? But it doesn't. It takes time and and that plant has to take the energy and the nutrients and the water and actually turn it into something. And it's not something that happens overnight. Unless it's zucchini. Have you noticed that? Zucchini, you always like next day, you've got like gobs of it. So, no, you know how this works. Interesting, the word patient here carries with it an idea that I think we need to pay attention to. So when we talk about patience, we typically think in terms of waiting right? But the Greek idea is to endure bravely. To endure bravely. And so it's not just the sense of waiting, but there's waiting with a certain amount of anticipation. And in my mind, what that does is it, it conf, um, conveys in, uh, the thought of that there's some hope. We're not just resigned to waiting. You know, I'm just patiently waiting and hoping on the Lord, right? But rather that there's, we're bravely enduring something because we can trust that God is good and that this too will work itself out for something, uh, hopefully to our benefit or the benefit of others. And so it's not just resignation in the sense of, um, of waiting, but rather there's a certain amount of hopefulness that's related to it. And of course, he goes on in verse 9 and he starts talking about grumbling against one another. Uh, yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I puzzled about this for a while because I'm like, okay, why, why is that there? Here's, here's a Bible study tip. If you end up with a, a, a certain verse or a sentence or a statement or passage that just seems out of place, one of the questions you probably ought to ask is, why is this here? And if you, if you think about it, why, why, why do we grumble? Because somebody's not doing something we want them to do, right? Yes, those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's the middle of the floor, or, yeah. 
My favorite is, uh, Mom, I can't find... Did you look? (laughs) Sometimes we grumble about those things. But here's the thing. It's not just about being patient in circumstance. But really what the writer is telling us here is to be patient also with each other in relationship. Do you see that? So it's one thing when when you're waiting on something, when you're patiently waiting to endure bravely through a set of circumstances, whether it has to do with work or whether it has to do with, you know, something at the house or with your garden. And that's one thing. It's something entirely different when we start talking in terms of relationships with one another. And that's where we typically show most of our impatience, if we're completely honest about it, isn't it? You know, you're sniping at your spouse and you're snapping at the kids and... and that's what the writer's talking about, is to patiently endure bravely, even in relationship, not just um, in circumstance. And I, I remember when I read this, don't grumble, and I'm like, really, God? But they're being such an idiot. Why on earth would I not grumble? Yeah. We're seeing this on a national scale, have you noticed? It's really hard not to. Uh, especially if you're on any one of the social media platforms. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Um, everybody's got an opinion about the other, and it goes back and forth. I have a um, guy from high school that I'm friends with on Facebook, and oh boy, I, uh, uh, some of the things that are coming off of his feed, I, I, I've learned how to back off of Facebook a little bit in recent months just because I'm grumbling if I'm not careful. So keep that in mind as you uh, watch your news feeds. Um, verse 10, brothers and sisters, is an example of patience in the face of suffering. Now, this is a new twist. Now, he's talking about patience before, but there's a difference between patience and patience in the face of or in light of suffering. And I think that given the circumstances that James is writing to, remember he's writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution, right? So historically, we know that that's the context. And so there is a certain amount of suffering that's going on with, uh, with his audience, the, the people that he's writing to. And so he introduces this idea of patience in suffering. And um, of course, the Lord you know, blesses those who have endured because he goes on, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And you have heard of Job's perseverance. How many of you read the book of Job? How many of you read at least the first and last chapters of the book of Job? Yes, because we want to get to the end. We don't want to go through the three friends that keep bothering Job with all kinds of nonsense. We want to see how the Lord brings things things about. But there's this idea of perseverance. And and the end result of when we persevere in light of this idea of enduring bravely, that type of, of patience. Um, and what's interesting to me is that we find uh, this idea of, I think, almost reward at the end of perseverance threaded throughout the Bible. I mean, just look at the, the overall narrative. I mean, you've got the exodus of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Talk about your perseverance, Right? Of course, you've got the book of Job, but then also the Babylonian exile. You know, how long were they moved to, to, to Babylon before they moved back? I was 70 some odd years, something like that. 
And so we have this, these notions of suffering and perseverance. And you know what? This should remind you of something. This should remind you of something here at the end of James, because believe it or not, he brought this up in the first chapter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, what's the word? Trials. That sounds like suffering to me of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, there's the word again, perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Boy, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? The idea here is perseverance has a place in our development, and we've got to keep that in mind when we're dealing with this stuff. That's why we endure bravely. See how it's beginning to fit together? So we have this in the first chapter, this little exhortation, and then we have it again here in chapter chapter 5 at the end. And I think this is really, in, in my mind, where James deals with reality best. This is where he gets real. Uh, in, in a in a very raw sense of the word. Because here it is, life is suffering. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. Life is suffering. It's a fallen and messed up world. We're stilling, still living in the aftermath of Genesis chapter 3. We're still living with it. And everything is messed up and marred and scarred and hurting and we've all experienced it. Everyone has a certain amount of pain and suffering. And sometimes that, that pain is forced on us by others, by their choice, their willful choice, the malevolence and evil in their own hearts. Sometimes. Um, sometimes it's thrust on us by nature. You know, perhaps you have disease. Or, living in Oklahoma, tornadoes or hurricanes, or whatever it happens to be. Sometimes life throws or thrusts on us a certain amount of pain of suffering by virtue of nature. And if we're completely honest, we have pain and suffering that are, that's brought about by our own wretched choices. And we, we put ourselves through things that um, maybe we don't need to, but we do. James says to us in his book, that's all very real. Pain and suffering is real. But so is perseverance. So is the goodness of God. That's real too. Do you see this? There is a point to all of the perseverance, and part of it, at least the majority of it, is for your maturity. And I think that Jesus says the same thing. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 16. Here it is. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, Jesus hadn't died yet when he said this. So we can't necessarily think about the cross in terms of the crucifixion of Jesus, but rather the burden that the cross was for everybody in that time frame. They would have understand this metaphor. 
and it's ugly and it's awful and it's horrid. It is the worst of humanity. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this statement. Deny yourself. That's fun. Take up your cross. Take up your suffering. Yes, that's right. Take up your suffering and follow me. That's the, the, the trial that tests your faith, that produces perseverance, that leads to your maturity. There's a point to it all, ultimately. So whatever we suffer, Jesus can make it count. In some way, he can make it, make it count. And he's putting things to right. Not right now, remember, that's why we have to be patient. Endure bravely because it doesn't happen all at once. And so I don't believe that God is the one who causes the suffering. There's plenty of that. But he can redeem it. That's who he is, ultimately. Now, fortunately, in the meantime, we're not on our own. There's some other pieces of practical advice that James gives us. So let's take a a quick look at the next few verses in James chapter 5. Let me read this in verse 13, and we'll come back and we'll talk about it a little bit more. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man, person, is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like this. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Interesting. And he finishes up with that. But let's take, a, take this apart, because there's some interesting things here. Remember, we were just talking about suffering, and I find this fascinating because in this next verse, is, any, uh, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Okay, this is where David gets a little aggravated with the new, new uh, International Version translators. <clears throat> because I think there's a better way to translate this, at least as I understand the language that's being used here. And here it is. Is anyone, uh, anyone among you suffering? It's the same word used in a couple of paragraphs ahead. Suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? And this is not a a suggestion that you should pray. It's a command. It's imperative. He must pray. If any person among you is suffering, you, you must pray. Look, I know this is... Oh, boy. If you're suffering, pray. Because eventually, everything else you try that's not going to work, you're going to come back to prayer at some point. Can we just be honest about that? Oh, God, help me. How about you just start there first and then try the other stuff, right? Look, I'm going to say this in as clear terms as I possibly can think of, okay? This, this, you're going to want to write this one down. This one's good, okay? You ready? Ready for this? Here it is. Prayer is never the wrong response to suffering, ever. Well, I knew that, right? Prove it. (laughs) Try it. Double dog dare you. 
This is an important thing, is that prayer is never the wrong response to any type of suffering, whether it's your suffering or someone else. Prayer is always the first response of the Christian. It's imperative. Is anyone among you suffering? Pray. Command. Do that. Pray. It's pretty serious about this. So too, with the second part of this verse, is anyone happy? Love that. Let them sing songs. Nope. He must sing songs of praise. Must. Your church ought to be a musical. Why do you think we spend time singing beforehand? I think it was Rick Warren who said, Dan will have to correct me on this, but I think Rick Warren was the one who said, praise and worship music clears the air. Love that. I think that's so true. I have a friend of mine, a pastor's down in Muskogee, and uh, he often will uh, post a picture of whatever he's uh, preaching on the next day. This is on Saturday night on Facebook. When I, when I check Facebook. Um, but he'll say, I'm preparing my heart for worship tomorrow. I'm like, man, I'm totally stealing that idea. Because I think, I think it's an important thing. Um, he must sing songs of praise. He must. You must do that. It, it ought to be uh, a continual sort of thing. Now, if you need an example of that, I've got a nine-year-old who would be happy to do that at your house. Because she does it at my house 24-7. It is a constant frame of worship music and show tunes. So if you like Frozen mixed with Elevation Worship, we got you covered. This idea is if there's happy and there's joy in your heart, then it's, then it's never the wrong response to sing praises. Never. It's never the wrong response to worship. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're uh, joyful, praise. These are imperatives. These are commands that uh, the writer is giving to us. Hmm. Must pray. And why not? God is the source of, of all good things. So let's acknowledge him for that. He goes on, Is anyone among you sick? Uh, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Hmm. This, this little translation error um, uh, issues here too. Is anyone among you weak from sickness? So we're not just talking about being sick, but it's the weakness that comes from sickness. Have you been so sick where it's hard for you to even pray? Because let's be honest, pain is debilitating. Those of you who have lived in pain, you know what, you know what that's like. Pain is debilitating, and sometimes it's really hard for you to actually say the prayers. So, if, if anyone among you is weak from sickness, unable to function because of whatever your affliction or ailment is, he must call the elders of the church, and I love this term, to make prayer over them. You know, we, we talk about this idea of praying, but I like, I like the, the nuance of making prayer. Somebody is going to make prayer over you. Uh, I knew a pastor once who used to talk about, uh, hey, let, let's have some prayer. No, no, uh-uh, make prayer. We're going to make some prayer, right? Um, I think there's a, there's a strength to that. 
So if anyone among you is weak from sickness, and, and it's just not within your power, if there's a weakness about you, because even when your soul's sick, and you're just feeling so heavy, call the elders of the church to make prayer over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I remember years ago, I was talking with um, somebody who comes from a different um, theological tradition. And uh, somehow the conversation turned to this notion of healing. And we just, you know, I said, you know, have you talked about, have you anointed your friend with oil? He knew somebody who was sick. And in their tradition, they don't believe in, you know, like spiritual giftedness of healing and that sort of thing. And he was a little resistant to it. And I said, look, that's not charismatic. That's not Pentecostal. That's just biblical. You know, an elder of the church, if you're an elder, grab some, grab some Wesson vegetable oil. It can be that. That's fine. And go anoint them with oil. That's what James tells us to do. Don't know if he did it or not. But I think it's important for us to understand that um, you're not supposed to do this alone. Yes, you're supposed to pray. But if you can't, don't do it on your own. That's why the church is here. And you've heard me say this a hundred times. We are here for you to do that. As it so happens, I forgot my oil today, so but it's going to go in my pocket next week. And, and we just want to put ourselves in a position that if you need that type of prayer, that we, we are here for you because we think it's a biblical thing and we, we, want to, we want to follow Jesus in all of this. Don't do it alone. Let us make prayer for you. And it's interesting to me that, you know, when he goes on in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Really? That's interesting. Because in the Old Testament, the idea of sickness was often tied to the idea of sin. And so you would have a, a person who is dealing with some type of illness. And so if you were a Pharisee, the first thing you would presume is that they did something that um, would make themselves Sick, they had sinned in such and such a way. Um, there's a classic kind of passage where Jesus is talking about, about a blind man. You remember this? And he says, which sinned? Did he sin or did his mother sin? Well, why? Blindness was caused by an STD. And in that day and age, it would cause uh, caused blindness, and so there was a good chance that mama was going around. That's why today, when babies are born, they put silver nitrite in their eyes, right? Because it clears that up. So which sinned? So sin and sickness are very connected in Jewish thought. And so here we have, look, and the Lord will raise them up, and if there's... Why? Because the elders made prayer for them. And the idea here is you're not supposed to deal with this stuff by yourself, but rather as a community, we deal with those things when, you, when you're just too spent to do it on your own. It's one of the reasons why we've said for a long time at the end of our services, we thrive only when others thrive too. Why? Because we're in this together. Keep that in mind. Now, pay attention to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
feel like confessing your sins to other people? So I'm just going to open up the microphone right now. You can come down here and confess your sins. Just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. Confess your sins and pray for healing. Um, actually, the term here is to be made whole. Interesting, right? And then it, he goes on, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The problem is, is most of us, we don't want to deal with our sin. Ah, and James is starting to push us to start thinking about our own hearts again, right? We don't want to do that. Because I want you to think that I've got it all put together. That's what I want. I'm going to put the mask up so that you think that I've got it all sorted out. And we do this to one another. And even if I don't have it sorted out, and you know it, I'm still not going to talk about it. Because then I have to acknowledge it. And I don't want to do that. Because not only do I not have everything put together, then you think I'm weak. How about we just all start with the fact that you're just as messed up as I am and I am as much as you are and maybe we just have a little more grace for one another. <laughs> How about we just start there? That sounds to me like a good idea. But if you want powerful and effective prayer, you've got to get right. And this is a constant theme throughout James, is this idea of dealing with your own heart, getting right before God, and there is benefit to it. It's not that you just feel good. Your prayers become powerful and effective. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That when a person is weak from whatever ails them, they come to their brothers and sisters, they come to the elders, and they're in a position where they're prayed for, and God makes them well. How many of you would like to see a church like that? Uh-huh. Starts here. Doesn't start here. Starts with each one of us and what's going on inside our own, our own hearts. Constant theme. Constant theme through this. So how should we end this series? I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I mean, because we've learned several things, right? I mean, there's certain themes, this idea of wisdom, the idea of dealing with our own hearts, the reality of life. And, and I don't want to be, you know, reductionistic and, you know, just kind of get it down to one point. But if you strip away all the exaggeration, all the hyperbole that James uses, and there's quite a bit of it, he's a bit bombastic. I think what James wants us to deal with is reality and the condition of our hearts and how those things interact with each other. And so if I had to, if you forced me to point to one central idea, I kind of go back to a verse that's in, in chapter 4, actually, and it's, it's this one. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He gets the fact that our world is a bit rough. He understands that <laughs> because his son dealt with the worst that humanity had to offer. He understands this. But he also knows that God is good. And he reminds us that we have each other. We're not supposed to do this alone. And here he assures us that as we move closer to God, He'll meet us where we are. 
But I want you to understand the order here. And I think this is really important. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Typically speaking, you need to make the first move. Why? Because God does not violate your free will. You have to choose to make that step. He didn't move. He's right where he's always been. But if you draw near to him, the promise here is that he will draw near to you right where you are. And this is the interesting thing to me because I think that we have it in our minds, and I'm not sure why this is, that we've got to have it all figured out before we come to, to Jesus. No, you need Jesus to figure it all out. Does that make sense? And, I, and I've, I, you've heard this too, but I, I've seen this where people are like, well, I can't go to church because I'm so messed up. <laughs> uh, do you know some of the people I know? You don't need to come to church. You don't need to come to, to Jesus once you have it figured out. This is a trauma center for the brokenhearted. You need, you need Jesus to help you work through that stuff. But the point is, is you actually have to go to the ER. You have to go to that place where there's hope and where there's healing. And if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And he'll meet you where you are. Not where you think you want to be or where you ought to be, but right where you are. As long as you're making that step, he'll meet you. So, I don't know, wherever that is for you, I don't, I don't know, but God does. And so maybe, maybe today, I don't know, maybe today, you need God and you know it. <laughs> and there's just something that's going on right now, whether it's a set of circumstances or it's a relationship and you're grumbling, whatever it happens to be, you know that you need, you need that. The stuff with James is meddling and it's making you uncomfortable and he's poking your bear with sticks and you're like, yep, I know that I need to do something different. Or maybe, um, <laughs> maybe you're joy-filled. Maybe something cool is happening because, you know, let's not you know, just paint the, the world in all, you know, awfulness and ugliness. Yes, it's that. But if you find a bit of joy, lean into that, sing on. We're going to give you an opportunity here in a minute to do it again. So sing on and find ways of expressing that to God, even if it's just a simple thank you. And by the way, there's always something to be thankful for. Always. Always. Young people, listen to me. If you think that you've got it rough, when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, let me ask you a question. Are you breathing? Be thankful for that. Be thankful that you're breathing. You can at least be thankful that you're alive. And yes, school might be rough. And mom and dad are driving me crazy. Whatever it happens to be, it's okay. You're alive and there's a God who loves you. And that's just not for young people. Maybe you're facing something at work. I don't know what it is. There's always something to be thankful. Sing on. Sing on. Your weapon is a melody. Ooh, I like that. It's good stuff. Maybe, um, maybe you need God and, and you don't know it. Maybe there's some stuff that's going on right now and you're just kind of lost. 
And right now, there's this little kernel of an idea that's beginning to take root in the back of your mind that maybe I do need God's inter intervention here. Maybe I do need Jesus. And I don't mean from a salvation standpoint. Maybe that's, that's true, but I know most of you. Most of you love God, and you're here because you want to praise him, but maybe it's a set of circumstances where you're like, hmm, I didn't think about the praying part. I'm suffering. Maybe I won't call it that. Maybe I'll say I'm, I'm aggravated. Irritated. Maybe there's an emotion that's going on. Remember? Maybe I'm feeling a little sad. Maybe I'm feeling a little angry. Maybe I'm feeling a little anxious. Maybe that's what's going on. It's never the wrong response to pray, ever, when it comes to any type of suffering. And if you draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. I think there's a part of God who wants us to take him up on that challenge. I'm not speaking for God in this moment, but I kind of wonder that. Otherwise, why would we find that in his word? Not that we want to test God ever, but maybe, just maybe, he wants to show us something. So I'm going to pray, and, and uh, Dan's going to come, and Dan and Jessica are going to come, and we're going to sing a little bit more. And uh, um, I'm sitting down over there. If you want to pray, we'll just step off to the side and we can pray. Happy to do that with you if you want. For our online congregation, um, maybe this is hitting you. Send us a note. Um, we might not be able to do it right now, but I'm just going to encourage you to send that email. Hello at Tulsa, uh, uh, thrivetulsa.com. Send us a note. We'll get in touch with you. Pray for you. Pray with you. Whatever you want. Um, but if you're feeling that way, don't, don't try to push that into the corner. The Spirit's trying to speak to you about something. Pay attention to that. And uh, don't let that go. Because if you draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. God, I thank you for your servant James and his words to us, for how he speaks um, about the reality of, of our existence, about the reality of life, how it's sometimes painful and there's suffering. God, you know every heart that's here today, you know what's going on with it, and you love them. And there are some who are sitting here, I, I really feel like you're saying this in this moment, that they need to be reminded that you love them. And that thing that they're dealing with, whatever it is, whether it's internal, external, it doesn't matter, you love them. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak to that heart, wherever it is, whoever it is. Right now, they are loved. And the fact is that the one who draws near to us when we draw near to you does it out of love and compassion, not, not just out of sympathy or pity or something like that, but rather 
a deep sense of love. Yes, draw near to me. Draw near to me. I want you to do that. I will draw near to you because I love you. And you may need to still persevere through some things because, I'm, because he wants to build some maturity in your life. Yes, that might be the case. But God, I pray that the person who needs to hear that would, that would hear just those words for them in a way that they would understand. And I pray, Lord, for our entire Thrive Church family, uh, Lord, that you would, you would simply continue to invite us back into relationship with you. That we would hear that and that we would respond more and more. Things change when we're with you. I thank you for those promises. I thank you for speaking to us through your servant James. In Jesus' name, amen.